Welcome to the Outdoor Given Podcast, episode number two. You'll have to excuse the uh, slightly croaky voice, um, but finally, after two years of avoiding it, COVID did catch up with the family. So we've all had uh, seven days off, still not completely recovered, but uh, I thought I'd crack on while I've got this time and I'd get this podcast recorded. So uh, yeah, hopefully you'll enjoy this one as well. So let's look back at my stalking journey. Obviously, I'd got the I'd got the firearm. I was shooting a two four three. It was a deer legal rifle, but I still had that reservation of do I want to go out and shoot a deer, and then how do I process it? It's a bit bigger than a rabbit. Same idea. Still eats grass. Can't be that difficult. Talking to people on the forums, everybody said that I should go and register and get my DSC one. That course would help me with the deer stalking and it would give me everything I needed to know. So, phoned up Basque, found out where I could book on, signed up, paid my money. Uh, the course manual arrived, uh, including the meat hygiene book. Lots of information. It was like, wow, this is pretty cool. What was I going to expect from the course? Well, hopefully this course was going to teach me everything I needed to know about deer stalking. So the day of the course arrives turn up sit down lots of people there um you're kind of that what do you do who are you your introductions and the course begins yeah really informative i'm learning lots of information about species of deer what to look for tracks uh looking at them from behind identification where the deer are located in the uk um what caliber you can shoot them with what time of year you can shoot them with it's really, really informative going through the process of grolicking on a video, etc., etc. Then, obviously, we go out and we do the shooting tests. Yeah, we can all shoot. We've done our, well, it used to be you do your, your prone test, you'd fire three shots at the target, then you'd fire three shots at a deer silhouette at prone, three shots uh, kneeling, and three shots standing. It's changed now, but once you finish that, yeah, you can shoot a deer. Happy days. So you've passed the course, but does this actually make you a stalker? Well, you've still had no hands-on experience. You still can't really go out and say, I can grolic this deer. Yeah, you've seen pretty pictures about how to identify it, what to look for in terms of disease. But for me, it was still, well, actually, no. I'm still not confident in going to do this by myself. So what was my next sort of, how am I going to get this confidence? Now, one of these things about these courses is you get to meet lots of different people. Now, as I said in the podcast one, by being there and talking to people, I eventually met a friend, a very good friend, uh, and I was invited, one, to first go and shoot at their their club so they could get to know me a bit more. And then I got an invitation that would I like to go to, to Ireland, deer stalking. So again, it, it developed from that. Now, the beauty of it is Andy was doing his deer stalking course, but he'd been shooting deer for years. So he knew lots about it. He was very hands-on, very experienced. And it, it just was a real pleasure because you could glean information from him. Now, I like to ask questions, so I quizzed him and found out as much as possible and watched everything we did while we were out stalking and shooting. And and following somebody like that that stalked Seeker for so long, 
Seeker deer are known as the ghosts of the forest anyway, but to be the stalker that follows them round the forest, you've got to be even more of a ghost. So he could move across the hillside very quietly or through the woods silently, always manage to ambush out on deer and very rarely ever failed to bring something back. And that was just one of those things. It's like, well, yeah, okay, this is pretty cool. It can't be that hard if he can do it every time. Uh, Yeah, think again. It was a complete mind opener when I actually had to do it by myself. So I posted a photo on my Instagram feed where I look completely drained, exhausted and a bit of a mess. So let's go through that as this was the first time of stalking a seeker deer with Andy as my guide using his rifle and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll explain to you exactly what happened and, and why it was such a changing point for me in my stalking career. So the Irish deer season runs from the 1st of September through to the end of February. Um, you can obviously shoot stags between September and the end of December and then you've got your hinds are in from January and February. So our trips were always planned in November and February so we could have a time when you could go out on the stags but in November you also are allowed to shoot uh, the hinds at the same time and then we go again in February purely for the hinds. So my first trip packed over all the kit that I had which was basically a Harkila jacket because I'd been out pheasant shooting and things like that, uh, some waterproof trousers I think they were Sealand, a pair of hunter wellies, uh, I had a knife and I thought I'm sorted out for deer stalking. I had some binoculars but we'll talk about those later because that was a bit of a disaster. Upon arrival in Ireland it had started to rain. We were shooting in County Wicklow. Uh, we travelled across on the ferry from Dublin. Um, there was five five guys and I was a guest of Andy's. Uh, they'd stalked there. I think one of them had been stalking in Ireland for over 20 years. Uh now, Irish rain is, is one of those things. I've suddenly discovered that Irish rain and Scottish rain are very similar. Um, but when it rains, it rains, you get wet. And having the kit I had, I thought, well, this will be all good. It, it works well in England. But no, you were, you were just getting wet every day. So every, every time we were out stalking, it was raining. It didn't let up. You ended up coming home, trying to hang all the kit around a small wood burning stove to dry it, be it your boots, your your trousers, your coat, your rifle. Um, It was just one of those things. It just was relentless. So day three of the trip, in the morning you get up, you squeeze yourself back into those slightly still damp, wet, cold clothes from the day before. And we were out early on the hill. It was chucking it down as usual, but this time it was a bit heavier than it had been. And we'd, we'd marched ourselves round this hillside and we decided that as it was getting heavier, we were going to sit ourselves under a couple of big uh, spruce trees and just wait. So we tucked ourselves in, crawled back off the ride and sat in there. And it just chucked it down, ate some snacks. And he was very good at making like large packs of flapjack that he would share with everybody. So stuffing flapjack, having a drink. I think it was a Capri Sun or something along those lines. And just watching the rain just drain off everything. All of a sudden, the rain kind of stopped. It, it was sort of that one of those moments when a bit of sunshine comes out the rain's gone away so we kind of slithered out from under this tree um, as best you can stood up drained off um, and walked forward about sort of 100 yards and there was a, a ride I remember it now a ride down to the right and something caught his eye and he's like get down get down so we got down crept across found a, a 
a bit of a style that went across this ride and he said get on here and and all of a sudden the hind stepped out he goes get the rifle ready get the rifle ready so i've got the rifle now up i'm sat there i've shot his rifle before know exactly what it is it's a seiko 75 308 it's unsound moderated uh really nice piece of scope on there I'm looking down at it, he goes, you can see the hind. I'm like, I can see the hind. Another hind comes out, another hind comes out. And he's like, right, uh, I want you to take the first one because she's in the clearest spot. And then all of a sudden, he sees me looking down the scope. He's like, no, 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 shoot the stag, shoot the stag. And I'm like, what stag? And he goes, look to the right, look to the right. And obviously the stag had just appeared from nowhere, completely clear, just stood there broadside, middle of the ride. And I remember it now. There we are rifle on it you can feel your heart beating because it's the first time on a stag and squeeze the trigger and man the ringing in my ears because of the nature of where we were the trees around us an unmoderated 308 firing a 150 grain bullet it was like a cannon going off and I still remember it to this day and I remember watching the stag just hair off to the left it just went straight across followed all everything cleared and that was it i was like oh oh what's happened there so you kind of get that bag of mixed emotion suddenly it's like uh why did it run where's it gone what's going on what what are we doing now and he's like nope nothing reload we're just going to sit here for a few minutes and wait so did exactly what he said reloaded made sure i picked the case up because he reloaded his ammunition gave him the case um we sat down and, and waited we probably waited about five ten minutes he goes right let's go so we're up on our feet and we're trundling off down the ride and uh and i'm like what we're we looking for and he goes we're looking for pins and i'm like what are pins and i'm there thinking am i stupid now what does this deer do does it drop something he goes no you stupid idiot pins pins are fur so when you've shot it the bullet's gone straight through out the backside. it's what we're going to use to track it i hadn't really thought about this i thought when you shot a deer it fell over and that was that but obviously the more you think about it yeah the bullet's gone through it you've taken a heart shot the, that thing's pumped up on adrenaline it's gonna run so we get we get to the point and he'd already worked out exactly where it had been shot his knowledge and experience was great at that point to so get down there and he's got me looking round. And I suddenly see a, like a clump of fluff on the ground. I'm like, ah, there, yeah, there. He goes, right, get on your hands and knees. I'm like, why? He goes, now you've got to find the blood trail. And he just, he knew he was going to make me work to find this deer. But I tell you what, by doing that, you never forget how to find a deer. So I'm there. And I'm like, blood there. And he goes, good, keep going. And we're looking and looking. And it's gone straight across the ride. And it's gone into young, into a young plantation, thick, heavily heavily grown sitka spruce and i mean it we're going to fight to get into this and he goes we've got to go through that to find your deer so i'm following each blood trail he goes if you lose it you go back to the last one and you keep going and you start again and you keep working through so crawling hands and knees through this stuff looking for it i'm following trails of blood yep there's a spot there and there's a spot there and he's got me looking everywhere and i'm still finding it another spot another spot and i've been probably now crawling for i don't know 30 meters 40 meters still going and i'm like it's gone i can't find it anymore no no it's still there you keep going keep crawling keep looking so i'm carrying on i think we eventually it got it it running about 60 to 70 meters into the into this forest 
he'd found it because he was on he was walking parallel to me so he knew where it was because it had obviously gone in curled back and fallen against the the far side of a tree i'm still looking still looking and i'm like i can't, I can't find any more blood it's gone he goes well keep looking and eventually caught eyes on it and there it was just lying there and that's it yeah yeah sort of your heart settles because you found what you've shot so it hasn't gone away you did hit it in the right place he goes yeah good good shot it's a nice absolute nice position he goes right now you've got to get it out grab it grab hold of its head it can't go anywhere it's dead um and we're going to drag it back out to the track so we're dragging it through the forest i'm well you can see that in the photo looking fairly fairly sweaty i thought i was quite fit at the time but uh, obviously dragging something of that size through thick forestry and all the rest of it that was soaking wet wasn't doing you any good so got it back out on the track he sat there he's like well we'll get your picture now just for your memory so we got a photo of it and uh, that's that's the start of me looking absolutely bedraggled the next part well yeah that really does put the test on you so the time was marching on at this point and um He's like, well, we need to get back to the, the motor because at the end of the day, the boys will all be back. We need to get back to the lodge as well. He goes, we won't grolic it here. You can do a full grolic back at the lodge because it'll be easier and I can explain to you how everything works. I'm like, all right, okay. You're going to give me a hand then, drag it up the hill. He goes, nah, that's you. I'll go and tell the boys in the motor and we'll drive up the track and meet you. Um, it's just up that hill, over that, down that next one and back across. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like... Well, you've got to drag it out. You shot it. He goes, this is one lesson you'll learn. Never shoot a deer at the bottom of the hill. I was like, you're leaving me. He's like, you know where you're going. Just keep following the track the way we came in and you'll get back to the road. I'm like, okay, it can't be that difficult. So that's it. He's off. He's got his rifle on his back and he's marching away. And I just watch him disappear over the crest of the first hill. So I've started dragging this thing and probably gone maybe... 100 200 meters i'm huffing and puffing already i'm starting to curse it and I'm, I'm like why did i shoot this deer down here eventually it's like i need something to put around it to drag it so i took my belt off wrapped that around it i'm dragging with that and i'm really huffing and puffing top of the first hill yeah okay it's not far now down the next hill oh that's okay it's downhill it's moving a bit easier it's it's coming with me they're not steep hills they're they're, they're more gentle rolls up the second one and i'm absolutely blowing really blowing and it's just like this is why why am i doing this of course this thing's not grolocked either so it's still got all its weight in it and eventually i get to the top of this one and i see them all sat there at the van and they're all like well done pete and i gradually get down to them they all pick it up chuck it in the back right let's go so because I'd shot my first deer, the tradition in for the, this group was we'd stop at the garage on the way home and we'd buy Magnum ice cream. So we did that, had a Magnum ice cream, and then it was back to actually understand and see how to grolic it properly. I was going to be doing it. Well, I didn't know I was going to be doing it, but I was going to be doing it and explained all the way through what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, etc. And he was a very good teacher. He also explained everything really well. So the grolic was pretty straightforward. Um, took the, did all of that, took the head off, left the head on the side. And one of the lads who was uh, one of the Irish boys said, I'll sort that out for you. So I didn't realise, but he was going to take the head home, boil it out, mount it for me and bring it back in a couple of days time. So that really was the first sort of time out, actually stalking something, shooting it and doing the whole process. I was yeah, apart from having to drag it where you curse that deer so much, 
um, the whole experience was really good. But I think the re- reason it was so good was it was well explained. But did I feel I could do it by myself? Uh, no, not at that point. I still didn't want to go out on my own. I still wanted to go out with him to get more experience to see how it was done. And I think that's where the whole deer stalking level one kind of comes into its own it gives you a fundamental understanding but it doesn't give you the ability to be a stalker so utilizing that and then finding somebody to be a mentor or a guide or or going out with somebody makes the world of difference and it it's getting somebody that can actually explain it it's not just about them dragging you around the forestry making you pull the trigger doing all the hard work for you and going well done you shot a deer that really doesn't give you any sort of true understanding i think the only real way to to get that learning curve especially for me and other people is to actually do the hands-on and be able to go oh, okay that's why we do that that's why we use the knife this way that's why we track the deer that way and i think that's really important so from sort of then on i obviously went back to ireland every year every february every november I then started to build up confidence going out on my own, managed to negotiate new land in Ireland uh, through work contacts. Um, so we ended up moving to a different estate, not private. It was private this time rather than being on sort of public forestry land and things like that. So every time you go out, it's still a learning curve. Every day is a school day. You'll always learn something different. So I've shot hundreds of deer now over the years and you still see something that's different with everything you do. Um, whether it be the way the deer behaved, whether the reaction, whether it's something in the grolic, whether it's something to do with the tracking. Um, obviously tracking a deer up in Scotland compared to tracking a deer in Ireland, there's no real difference, but it's a different thing with roe, it's a different thing with seeker, it's a different thing when chasing a red round the round the hills. You You kind of have to, everything's about environment, and the only way you learn about that is by listening to the people around you and the guides and, and seeing how it's all done. So after a number of years um, of stalking, well, it's quite a number of years actually, I decided it was probably about time I actually got this DSC Level 2 qualification, just so I've got that piece of paper. The world's changing, people want to see bits of paper. So signed up for it. Um, the first time work got in the way and I never actually managed to complete the qualification. So re basically paid again. And uh, this time it had all moved online. Spoken to a few of the lads locally and, and found that one of their friends was an accredited witness. Had a chat with him and he said that he would happily be my witness as long as I covered his fuel and we go out stalking. So realistically... You can do it in three stalks. I think it took four for me because we had a, a one stalk that was a complete blank. But we got all of that done. Uh, it's changed again now. So with the new system, it's it's not like it used to be. But obviously the old-fashioned way was, was three witness stalks, going through the whole process, uh, writing, he'd write his report, you'd write your report. They'd all get submitted and then you'd have a, a telephone interview. So level two done and dusted fairly quickly um, and yeah it's another piece of paper just to have but it also proves that you really do know how to stalk because you're you're being scrutinized you're being watched on everything you do be it from get knowing your woodland tracking your deer shooting your deer following up your deer 
processing it, getting it ready to go either to the larder or uh, personal consumption. So it was definitely worthwhile having it. It's also been one of those things, it finally ticks the box properly. I was on the competent persons register up here in Scotland for SNH, which allows you obviously for out of season shooting and, and night licenses, especially it's important for certain forestry blocks that I do look after. DSC2 is a requirement or working towards it. So having it down there as a working towards, well, now I've ticked that box. So actually now it's it's a formality. Every year my licenses can be renewed with no major headaches and you, you, you can carry on. So was it worth doing a DSC level one, a DSC level two? In the grand scheme of things, yes. The level one gives you all the knowledge you require. It doesn't make you a stalker, but it gives you the fundamentals, the a, the ability to identify a deer. It proves you can shoot safely, uh, game handling. It just takes you through all the basics. Yes, it's a lot of knowledge at the beginning, and you may not see it's it's that important, but it, it, it over time it becomes really good. What would I do after that? Yeah, I think for me the key was to actually get out and go stalking if you've got loads of experience go straight on and get your level two if you haven't take time get out go shooting lots every day you're learning something you can use that experience so that when you do come to do that level two it's not that daunting that you've got somebody watching you it'll all be natural it flows through the key is i don't think you're going to get shooting on well you won't get any shooting on sort of forestry land any now unless you've got a level one and a level two or working towards it life nowadays is all about bits of paper at the end of the day so if you can say i've got a level one or and i've got a level two um you're in a much better position especially when it comes to firearms renewals land acquisition all sorts of things certificates are the key So that draws this podcast to a close. Thank you again for listening. Um, Hopefully we'll have another podcast out in a couple of weeks' time. This one is a bit earlier, but I suppose having COVID and having some time on my hands has allowed me just to get ahead of things. So yeah, just thanks for listening and uh, see you soon.